Today is Monday, October 3rd, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. More than 1,600 people have been rescued from Hurricane Ian's path, and the search for survivors continues. We'll have that story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. If you agree with that mission, you can help. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, share it with a friend, all that good stuff. Let's get through that news of the crate together. And joining me, as always, to help get through it, Trey Gones Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBNsFaithWire.com. What's going on, guys? Happy Monday. We're, we're living the dream. Monday, <laughs> I'm ready Monday. to go. Yeah. I am excited I am excited for another week. <laughs> Let's go. Let's tackle the week. I always tell my kids, try to have a good attitude heading into the week. And yep. you'll, it seems like you have a lot of stuff, but first it seems impossible, then it seems hard, and then it's done. So let's, right. let's hit the ground there running. That mindset's a good way to go. But you guys will be talking about that Texas judge who was under fire for praying in the courtroom. The court has spoken now, and we'll have the details on that ruling. And on the main thing, Governor Newsom, he caused a stir with those billboards we talked about that misuse scripture. We'll be talking to uh, Pastor Lucas Miles uh, on today's main thing. But first, we're going to hit the news in 90 seconds. Hurricane Ian, at least 76 people have died as the storm now finally clears out and the survivors are beginning to emerge Many are finding their community, of course, utterly destroyed, and the search and rescue efforts are continuing. As Governor DeSantis said that 1,600 people have been rescued so far. Ian hit as a Category 4. Just coastal towns were pummeled, and stunning images showed flooded homes, collapsed roof, boats floating down streets, even sharks swimming through what once were neighborhoods. And Ian is now a post-tropical cyclone, and it's making its way through North Carolina. So the, the floodwaters, the rainwater, still still a danger, even though the winds have uh, calmed down. So Vice President Kamala Harris is receiving some criticism after saying hurricane recovery efforts should take equity into account and that relief efforts should prioritize communities of color. Critics, including Elon Musk, pointed out that relief efforts should be based on greatest need, not race or anything else. And Governor DeSantis's rapid response director, Christina Pushaw, called Harris's comments false and assured Americans that FEMA will render aid to survivors regardless of race. And on Friday, Peter Breen, attorney for pro-life Christian Mark Hawk, told me during an interview that Hawk had been witnessing to agents as he was being arrested and taken downtown. You can watch that full interview over on the CBN News YouTube channel, and you can read more headlines from today and more over at CBNNews.com. Guys, that interview with uh, Peter Breen on Friday was really interesting, particularly that note about him that he was, as his house had been raided and he'd gone through all that trauma when he was being taken away downtown, was evangelizing to the to the agents on the way. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> that is incredible. And I think in these moments, that does show sort of the character of a person because a lot yeah. of other people would not be evangelized and they'd be <laughs> no. maybe doing the opposite in the midst of in the midst of that. Yeah. But it still remains to be one of those stories that you're wondering what else don't we you know what is going on here? What is the motivation? Yeah. I mean, you you could read 50 stories about it and you still walk away saying what in the world? It reminds me of that Finnish politician, uh, Billy, that you and I interviewed um, I can't remember her name right now, but uh, a while back, she was dealing with a religious persecution case. Um, Pavi, and, Pavi Rosnan. Pavi yes. Rosnan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she was talking about how she was thankful for the opportunity to have been uh, taken in and, and talking to police because she was able to share the gospel with the, the police officer who was interrogating her, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, 
it's awesome when you see believers using using the the space in front of them where whatever predicament they find themselves in, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, and using it to share the gospel. It's a good reminder, I think, for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And you can check out um, the whole interview was interesting, and the, I mean the case is just shocking. And so that interview is up on the CBN News YouTube channel. You can check that out uh, over at the uh, CBN News YouTube channel. So. All right, let's head into our next story here. And Trey, there's a Texas judge who had been known for praying in the courtroom. And now the court has uh, decided on it, on whether or not he can continue this practice. And so uh, before we get to the result, why don't, why don't you tell me how this whole thing started in the first place? So the Freedom From Religion Foundation, we've talked about them oh, yes. plenty of times <laughs> here on this podcast. So they seem to be always lurking, looking for oh, these yeah. these random cases. So, But anyway, in 2019, uh, they sued a Texas Justice of the Peace, Wayne Mack, uh, over his practice. I mean, a, a pretty common practice in courtrooms across the country uh, of starting each court day with just a few minutes of prayer uh, delivered by faith leaders of different denominations. It's open, obviously, even to people of different religions other than Christianity. Uh, They were all part of a volunteer chaplaincy program that he launched shortly after he was elected to be a judge in Montgomery County, Texas. Uh, That caused some ire uh, among atheists and non-believers in the community. The Freedom From Religion Foundation latched onto that, uh, and that's how that case started. So it's been ongoing since 2019. Mm. And so what what did the final ruling uh, and the appeals court actually say on this? So the New Orleans-based Fifth uh, Circuit Appeals Court ruled two to one in Mac's favor. The judges rejected the Freedom from Religion Foundation's claim uh, that Mac's daily prayers were prejudicial, which is what they had asserted. Uh, so in a joint opinion, the judges wrote, quote, we cannot credit the plaintiff's assertion that coercion in a courtroom doesn't come from the imposition of actual prejudice. It comes from a perceived risk of prejudice. The plaintiffs must present evidence that any such perception is objectively reasonable, evidence that evidence from which we can conclude that coercion is a real and substantial likelihood. Obviously, that's kind of jumbled and, and a lot of legal speak, but yeah. essentially uh, what the ruling was is that as long as Mac leaves the door open for chaplains of all different faiths to lead opening prayers, invocations, and doesn't force anyone in the courtroom uh, to participate in them, there's nothing re- legally wrong with him you know, opening each session with a couple minutes of prayer. There's nothing that, that they can do to stop him from doing that. Hmm. And so what were the responses? How did Judge Mack respond? What did FFRF say uh, after, after that ruling? So uh, Bradley Hubbard, who's uh, Judge Mack's attorney, he issued a statement. He said that the Fifth Circuit Court, quote, rightly concluded that Mack's prayers at the start of his court proceedings are part of what he called a rich historical tradition. And then Mac, for his part, he released his own statement and said, I'm eternally grateful to the judges on the Fifth Circuit who upheld this historical practice. As far as the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they reportedly have not yet decided if they're going to appeal the ruling. But Annie Laurie Gaylor, the co-president of the organization, called the decision disturbing. Uh, she said, a courtroom is not a church, and a judge's bench should not be a pulpit. It's dis- it's a dishonest decision claiming a tradition of courtroom prayer 
and denying it is coercive. Uh, so that's where they stand. It is mm-hmm. interesting, the dissenting judge, uh, he said that, quote, reasonable, that it's reasonable to believe that non-participation will draw the judge's ire uh, as a former Pentecostal minister who campaigned on having prayer in his court uh, and has acted hostile, uh, this judge said, uh, following a litigant's non-cooperation in the uh, invocation ceremony. Uh, so that's kind of where all the opinions stand at mm. this point. Yeah, and I mean, I just never understand why, like the Freedom from Religion Foundation and people who are in of that mindset feel like that um, the way the founders had set it up is that there shouldn't be any prayer at all in public, and it should just kind of be banned into your own houses, and that's the right. that's the way things are. It's you know, like you were talking about the coercion. It seems like they've sort of kind of conflated these issues. Oh, well, how yeah, would one hundred percent? Yeah. How would anybody know that you weren't participating? That's the first thing that stands out as very bizarre. I mean, like, oh, the judge might be upset with you for not participating. Well, how do they even know what I'm thinking while the prayer is going on? And honestly, there's a couple of other quick things. This has been going on since the 1700s, right? Prayer in courtrooms. This is not a new thing. And back then, it it probably wasn't multiple denominational. It was probably mostly Christian prayer. But this judge is apparently allowing people from different faiths in I think the big thing to take away from this, the fact that they're continuing to push this after in 2014, the Greece versus Galloway Supreme Court decision settled this, that prayer before government meetings. And I, you know, I would assume, you know, an in-court proceeding would be a government meeting is legally permissible as long as you invite all faiths in. So anyway, I just can't believe they're still fighting this after that court case settled it. Yeah. And you'd think there'd be some sort of like, look, if you're trying to, you know, demonstrate this pattern of harm over over the years and that this is a thing we do that, you know, causes people to be coerced into religion. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I've been a Christian for 20 some years now, and I don't think I've one time heard somebody say, you know what, you know, what really convinced me was when I saw the 10 commandments hanging on the courtroom wall. Uh, I, I've not heard that one time now. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that they're up there. I, you know, I'm just saying like, this is, if their case is that this is coercing people into falsely into religion. I mean, I just haven't heard any, testimonies that have come that way hey the 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 guy prayed the judge prayed at court and that just won me over now i'm a christian um and so maybe they don't mean exactly that but i mean that's just just that's just an observation i had or when damaged I think about you that. in some yeah, way right yeah. yeah all right well uh thanks for bringing that one guys uh, appreciate that and we'll we'll i'm sure this isn't the last we're going to hear from freedom from religion foundation they like you said trey they're always lurking so you can kind of you can kind of expect <laughs> right. them to be back at some point soon so thanks for that that leads us into our main thing today and governor newsom he caused a stir recently with billboards that misuse scripture to say supporting abortions is loving your neighbor. Well, Madison Seals talked about that and the recent attacks on pro-lifers in the U.S., what it all means, where we stand as Christians, how we can respond with Pastor Lucas Miles on today's Main Thing. In these post-Roe times, it's becoming more and more dangerous to be pro-life in America. You've probably seen pro-life signs desecrated by abortion activists or clinics firebombed by radical groups like Jane's Revenge. Just last week, we discussed the FBI raid of a pro-life activist home that so far has proved unnecessarily aggressive. Just days later, an 83-year-old pro-life canvasser in Michigan was shot going door-to-door. And in the midst of all these attacks on pro-life Christians, the Democratic governor of California, Gavin Newsom, announced that his state is launching seven pro-abortion billboards that invoke the Bible, claiming that advocating for abortion is actually a form of loving your neighbor. 
The billboards advertise the recently launched website abortion.ca.gov, which shows women how to access abortion in California if it's banned or restricted in their state. Here to break this down for us is Lucas Miles, pastor of Influence Church and faculty at Summit Ministries. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I want to start with a question based on the title of your Epoch Times show, Church and State with Lucas Miles, because Democrats really like to misuse the expression separation of church and state from Thomas Jefferson's letter to Danbury Baptist Church. Is this new billboard display meant to be ironic, or do you think it's actually trying to convince Christians that abortion is biblical? No, I think absolutely the the left is very, I guess I would say, serious about the claims that they're making of trying to insert Christian principles and Christian values, or at least pseudo-Christian values, into their agenda. We've seen this, you know, on almost every single social issue that they've pushed uh, in the last, you know, several years, if not if not much longer than that. But I think the left has come to terms with the fact that they are going to struggle to continue to win elections unless they can divide the faith vote. Uh, right now, if all Christians in the country were to vote based upon kingdom values, Democrats would never win an election ever again. Uh, so they have to create confusion. Uh, this is a Marxist tactic to divide the church. We see that in you know strategy laid out in books like The Naked Communist and others that reveal that the left has an agenda to create confusion in the church and to promote social issues over spiritual issues. They they want the world to see Jesus as a you know radical social organizer, a man of the people, rather than the savior of the world that he actually you know is and 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 was. Right. Yeah. It's like since their arguments don't seem to be working, they have to manipulate the words of the one who created life in the first place to justify what they want. And, you know, these attacks target pro-lifers, but we've seen in many cases that churches and Christian organizations in general are targeted as well, even if they're not medical clinics or directly related to pro-life health care. So do you think this violence and hatred we're seeing is bigger than the abortion issue? I mean, it's hard, you know, when you look at the number of abortions, you know, since Roe, I don't want to say anything to, you know, belittle that. I mean, that's that's massive. It's catastrophic. It's it's right. uh, it's it is uh, it is a, you know, uh, one of the greatest tragedies in human history. Uh, I think what we're seeing, though, now is deeply concerning. And I think it's the next iteration. What the sort of the Supreme Court's recent uh, decision around Roe really provided the left is it gave opportunity to. Uh, weaponize people against the church, against conservatives, uh, because they they have really you know uh, identified Christian conservatives particularly as the, the 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 reason or the causation for the Supreme Court's decision, which you know isn't true. The Supreme Court made this decision because you know as even people on the left have said for decades, Roe was bad policy from the beginning. And that's what this decision was, I think, about more than anything. But, you know, certainly as conservatives and Christians were glad that they made the decision that they made. But the leftists use this as an opportunity to weaponize people. They're starting to call, you know, anybody that, uh, it, you know, again, even the term pro-life has sort of disappeared. You know, you're, you're seeing the left use kind of other, other terminology to describe uh, the pro-life movement. And I think that what we are potentially have in front of us is an increase in Christian persecution. I was just in D.C. for uh, the March for the Martyrs. Uh, I spoke uh, uh, down at the Washington, the foot of the Washington Monument, and then we marched to the Bible Museum. 
and you know just hearing stories from uh, around the world of Christian persecution. But what we also heard was increasing stories of Christian persecution in this country. And I, as as a pastor, as a faith leader, as you know, somebody that's that's dealing with these issues every single day on a national level, uh, this is something I have my eyes on very closely. Yes, and thank you for bringing that up because Christian persecution is more what I was what I was trying to get at here. That this violence and hatred we're seeing is it about more than just abortion. Hundred percent. I apologize if I didn't understand uh, uh, maybe the question initially, but you're you're absolutely right. This is. This, you know, abortion, it provided the catalyst is probably the better way to say that. So abortion, Roe being overturned, that provided the sort of the kindling that I think the left needed to really turn up the fire against Christian persecution. I had a mentor that that said to me one time uh, about this issue of Christian persecution. And when we first had this conversation, it was almost, it, it almost seemed impossible for the United States to ever get to the point where Christians would be persecuted here. This has been, you know, many years ago. But the thing he had shared with me was he said, you know, that in order for Christians to be persecuted in this country, it's going to take one of two things. It's either going to take Christians being wrongly blamed for something, much like what happened in Rome with them being blamed for, uh, you know, fire in the city and these things and, and persecution broke out as a result, or it's going to take Christians, let's call it fringe Christians, acting rashly to some sort of national situation and their actions, you know, in haste, create national blowback against Christians everywhere. And, mm. and I think that that, you know, I would still stand behind a statement like that that he made. And I think that we as Christians, we need to act wisely. Uh, the Bible says to be innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. And, and I think that we, as a, in our dealings with a tyrannical state, or I should say at least an increasing uh, uh, tyrannical state, that we have to uh, we have to really put both of those things into practice. Yeah, absolutely. As Christians, we have to be the ones to defend the truth of what love, for example, truly is. And the billboards in Mississippi and Oklahoma quoted Mark 12:31, which is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The other commandment to which these refers, of course, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Why does the rest of this verse and context matter to the definition of love? Yeah, I mean the, the left the left has a skewed definition of love and they they will continue to skew the definition of love as long as they resist coming to a knowledge of the truth about who Jesus is. Uh, the left's version of love is if you agree with me, then you love me. Uh, what a biblical view of love is is it is based upon both grace and truth. Grace is, you know, gives somebody unconditional love and acceptance of where they are, but it it does not ignore absolute truth that does not ignore the reality of right from wrong. And if I, if somebody truly loves somebody, they're willing to say the hard thing in love in order to minister to them, to help them, to, to lead them to, uh, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, to, to a better way, to truth. And of course, all of this is based upon biblical principles. You know, you're not going to hear a, a, a progressive or even a Christian leftist ever talk about heaven, hell, the lordship of Christ, eternity, repentance of sins. These concepts will never come up. They're going to focus on the social issue side of it because, again, they're pointing back to a, a, a really a different Christ. I, I call this the woke Jesus. You know, they're pointing back to a version of Jesus that's fabricated, but he is a social organizer. He's a champion for the people. Uh, this is the same thing that happened in Nazi Germany. It's the same thing that happened in Black Liberation Theology. Uh, it's the same thing that happened in, in uh, Liberation Theology in the Catholic Church. Uh, we see all of this where the true biblical Christ is exchanged 
for a social justice warrior. And, and that's just not what the gospel teaches. It robs Christ of his true divinity uh, when, when that's all we try to make him out to be. Right. There's been lots of efforts in the pro-life movement to debunk scientific myths around viability and abortion procedures, but this manipulation of scripture, at least as it relates to the issue of abortion, seems to be fairly new, and a lot of Christian and pro-life leaders have pushed back against this. One of them, worship leader and activist Sean Foyt, referred to his governor's use of Mark 12 to promote abortion as, quote, a level of darkness few have seen before. So how can Christians push back against the lie that being pro-abortion is loving your neighbor? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important that we recognize, first of all, that what's happening is, although it is it is different today because the level of connectivity that we have through the internet, that it's not necessarily new. You know, we see the enemy in the Garden of Eden twist the words of God in order to try to make a case for his values over God's values. We see the same thing happen in Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. We've, of course, seen this before. You know, even Hitler used, you know, words of Christ in order to, to manipulate the masses. And so this is spiritual manipulation. I do agree with Sean that uh, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a, you know, a deep form of darkness and twisted, you know, mindset. And uh, as Christians, we should speak out against this. You know, loving your neighbor, I mean, if, if we want to go that direction, uh, loving your neighbor in context in Scripture has absolutely nothing to do uh, with giving a woman the right to kill her unborn child. And that passage, you know, if we're really going to say, uh, who's our neighbor? Well, the, the scriptural answer to who's your neighbor is usually the least of these. And the, the one that you wouldn't want to, you know, the, that you don't have an obligation to. So uh, I would argue that uh, an unborn child is probably the best neighbor uh, for us, who is the least of these, who has the least ability to be able to fight for themselves, speak for themselves, etc. So if we're truly going to love our neighbor, uh, I think that should lead us to a pro-life position. So uh, in my mind, the verse backfires, but but uh, it, it's spiritual manipulation nonetheless. Pastor Lucas Miles, thanks for sharing your biblical insight with us and giving us words of wisdom to love our neighbors as God calls us to. I appreciate that so much. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, if anybody wants to find out more about what we do, uh, they can head over to lucasmiles.org. Wonderful. Thanks again, Lucas. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Madison and Lucas, thanks so much for that conversation. That leads us into our last thing for today. I wanted to look at 1 Peter 3, 9, which says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And I just that I just went through that verse, guys, and it struck me because I think in today's culture, getting vengeance, seeking revenge, or getting equal, uh, or getting somebody back, or making a comment, or whatever form that takes, it feels like that is a very accepted thing in today's culture. And Scripture obviously teaches us a different way. Yeah, there's there's like no gospel of grace. Like the cultural gospel is just go after everybody and tear them down and destroy them once they've done anything to upset you. And yeah. so I I love I love these scriptures because they recenter us because it's so easy to get sucked into that. Mm. Well, I think it's easy to to not afford any charity to another person, right? Like we're talking about vengeance. So a lot of times if somebody has explicitly done something wrong with you, obviously there's there's this pull maybe to get revenge. But I think even before that, there are moments when we just assume the worst of other people. We assume somebody met me wrong, or I, I assume somebody was just being mean because they wanted to be mean. Uh, we don't afford people, maybe they're having a really rough time. What can I do to pray for them? I think that should be our first step is, is how can I make this 
their day better instead of assuming that they're always out to get me and I need to be angry at them. And I think this verse really speaks to that, yeah. uh, you know, assumption that we can easily make of other people. Yeah, completely. And and I think sometimes too, I mean, to your point, Trey, like if you, if you don't just immediately take the offense or the conflict and then go back with something, sometimes if you just sit on it, you'll realize like a half a day later yeah. or a day later that you're just it's a nothing burger and you just, and you just let it go. Um, right. Well, and, and it's, yeah. it's hard. It, it's hard to be angry at somebody you're praying for too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good point. Very good point. All right. That's a good, I think that's a good spot to leave it for today on Monday's episode. And now look at that. You're through your Monday and you're, you're heading on through the week and you're off and running. So, um, as always, you can head on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com. Get more news from a Christian perspective. There's a lot going on this week. Operation Blessing is in full um, you know, help mode and relief mode. Uh, we're going to be reporting on that and more over at cbnnews.com. So God bless. We'll see you back here tomorrow.